Welcome to Vino Week, episode 16, brought to you by Vino 101. <laughs> welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. Hello, welcome everybody. Um, this is Al. Uh, gee, Bill, we uh, we had a little some technical difficulties there earlier on, but now I think we've got them ironed out. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, for all the high, t- for all the quote unquote advanced technology, it still sometimes feel like feels like we're down to uh, the tin cans and string. Yeah, well, it certainly is better than it used to be. That's for sure. Hey, I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. I could be frustrated, but not complaining. Um, so it seems like there's some. Uh, let's dive in into the the wonderful uh, news of the wine world. So the uh, we're starting to. Uh, so there were a few articles uh, on uh, that we're going to talk about here about people talking about the harvest. Yeah, it looks like um, it, as far as harvest goes, you know, every year is it's different. You know, like if you take like last year, I mean, you could go around the globe and, you know, the, they had fires in um, the southern hemisphere that were causing all kinds of problems. Um, it I, it never stopped raining, it seems like, in certain portions of Europe. Um, it was very, very, uh, it was a, a, just a bountiful vintage over here on the West Coast. Usually there's always this variability all the way around. It just seems interesting that this year, 2015, it seems like um, all the continents are experiencing some very good weather all at the same time, which brings us to our first article. All right. So from, um, from the continent, as they say. Um, the boy's uh, name is Claude Girard, and uh, this is an article that was in. Um, oh, it looks like a blog, a uh, French blog, Vita Bella. Um, but he's basically all right. So Al, who's Claude Girard, and why should we care? Well, it's uh, Champagne Henri Henri Girard, H E N R I. I guess one of the things that. Uh, it's just a high-end champagne maker. Yeah, and, and, and like, can we get that champagne here? I don't even know. And what absolutely. It, and what would it set us back? Uh, you can get it here, and you got to be looking at uh, forty and up. Okay, that's for, actually. I mean, for that's about, it's about right. And I'm. I mean, I I imagine their champagne is quite good. Yeah, yeah, they they got it going on. Uh-oh. They know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so these people have been doing this for for centuries. Well, he's really uh, tickled about the harvest, and he's yeah. basically saying it's the best it's the best grapes that he's seen in his life. <laughs> so that's a pretty ringing endorsement for the uh, the bubbly for 2015. So that's uh, I, I think that's that's pretty interesting. That's a great photo of all the um, the family in the vineyard there. It is. They don't um, just have one bottle open. There are I seven. think everybody has a bottle. <laughs> just pretty awesome. It it, it is, but um, it, you know, um, unusual year, hot and dry. Yeah, they they did have. He's he, basically they say quote it's a superb vintage. So yeah, and there and I think it's rare that they um, 
you know, and it sounds like a lot of stuff came together here, right? They got the sugar and their acid ratio where they want it. Um, you know, he's talking about perfect balance there. He hasn't seen grapes as healthy before. Um, I didn't, did he talk about the yield at all in terms of what they were getting in, in, um, in terms of yield out of their vines? I didn't see that. No, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty short article. Um, I don't know anything about what the yields were in general. Um, you know, it's hard to say. You just have to ask them. It depends on the, it's interesting. Yields always depends on what the previous vintage was and even the vintage before that, you know, cause it, a lot of it has to do with how much, how many buds they, they leave on the vine uh, sure. for the next year. Sure. And then the, uh, um, you know, I think what's most interesting about this article is just that who this person is and what they and who they work for, and then um, the you know the fact that he's saying that it's extraordinary. Yeah, and they always had a little caveat at the end. He says this will certainly be a great vintage, but the winemaker will require immense skill to harness its strength. So you know, there's there's always a back door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's true. But sort of, you know, continuing on there, the Napa Valley Register also had a, uh, you know, it, I mean, I feel like we should have like typewriters in the background as we're reading the crop report. Yes, as we should. You know, it would, it, it's great how they have all the districts, you know, up in Diamond Mountain District. It, it, I, it's, <laughs> so I lived in a farming community and if you got up at the right time in the morning, you did hear the crop report. Yes. Sir. Corn futures on the Chicago Board of Trade are trading it. With the typewriter in the background. Um, but the, uh, I mean, it's sort of the consistent thing that I read through here with regard to, um, uh, with regard to the harvest in Napa is, you know, excellent, excellent vintage in terms of the, um, the quality of the grapes and, but the yields are low. Yeah, yields are down anywhere from uh, 20 to 40 percent, it looks like. Um, part of that, no doubt, due to, you know, the vines are feeling, you know, a, a fourth year of stress from the drought. Um, it's – Well, the other thing wasn't last – so the last two years, so I know that 12 and 13 were both big uh, yield years and sort of broke records. I can't remember 14 did. So I'm wondering if they really paired back. Well, it's that, and the, the vines are kind of self-regulating. They do their own thing, so to speak. So, um, you know, it's if you have a bumper crop, like 13 was a really big crop. If you have a bumper crop, you know, a couple in a row, then, you know, the vines kind of figure out, well, shoot, we put out a pretty good amount last. You know, they, they regulate themselves to a certain extent. The reason I thought this article was interesting was that everyone – when, when they talk about a vintage, like especially in California, if they talk about a vintage, whether it was a good vintage or a fair vintage or a poor vintage, they always um, – it's always really tied to Cabernet Sauvignon. And I'll give uh, 2011 as an example. Uh, most people, a lot of retailers, try to avoid that vintage um, for Cabernet. And it was kind of spotty and you had to be kind of selective just because the weather was just so poor towards the end of harvest. But – People, you know, if it's a good Cabernet vintage, then they just lump everything in with it. And that's really not the case because 2011, there were some really good wines that were made other than Cabernet Sauvignon if they came in a little bit earlier. 
So that's what I, you know, the, the whole vintage is always pinned on how's the Cabernet doing. So I guess the good thing is Cabernet is, is looking pretty good. Um, we had some accelerated heat um, this week. <laughs> that's, to put it mildly. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> accelerated heat. It was like 99 on my deck on Thursday. And that's Sebastopol, folks, for people who don't know where we miles, are. We're 12 miles from the coast. It, <laughs> it, it should – it's it, – yeah. It, that's it, just wrong. It's hot. So and I think the other thing that's it, you know interesting about this year, because of the way the weather was and low drought, harvest started a long time ago. It did. Like I said, a lot of people are halfway done. Yeah. I mean they're usually done at in the middle of October or later. They're going to be done before the end of September. Yeah, everyone, is, everyone's going to be done. Yeah, and they're talking about in this article that, you know, um, I think it was, I can't remember who it was, but their Sal Blanc is already, you know, they're fermenting, right? Yeah, um, I was at uh, I was at a, a, a pretty prestigious winery uh, yesterday or the day before, and I was talking with one of the winemakers, and all of their Pinots in, all their Sauvignon Blancs in, all their Zinfandels in, they're just waiting on the Chardonnay. It's like it's September 11th. Wow, September 12th. You're just waiting on a Chardonnay. That's it. You know they don't they don't make Cabernet, but Chardonnay is usually one of the last white grapes to be picked. So it's pretty amazing. And and the heat wave uh, definitely has accelerated. That just recently happened. We were, I got home the the other night. I think it was Tuesday night, and it was it was really really warm. And I had worked in the city, and I'd driven up through Nevada, the Narrows, man. I, you know, I have air conditioning, but the air conditioning was even like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" Yeah, your your car, <laughs> your car is like, "Can we just take a break?" <laughs> so when I got home, I I could see my wife was just like, "Wow, man, it's hot," because you know, people that live in this area don't have air conditioning typically. So we went out to the coast. We drove to the coast. You know, it's 15 minutes away. We got there, and you could see the fog, you know, coming in over the bay because we're right there, Bodega Bay. By the time we left, man, it was sweater and pullover weather. Right. Which, I mean, it usually is. So the differential between here and there, that was about 30 degrees. Right. Over a a 15-mile run. So pretty amazing. That's why we like this area. No doubt. No doubt. Well, that's – so it sounds like it's going to be an interesting vintage, although maybe not a lot of it, at least for our local stuff. And that's good because the coffers of uh, the the barrels and the tanks of wine. There's a lot of wine on the market right now, yeah, so I mean it's it's it helps to balance out the market. It's nice to have a vintage where you don't have so much juice. So and it's definitely if you're in a winery, it's uh, definitely less less stressful when you're trying to figure out where you're going to put all the juice that's coming in. The only thing that's a little bit of a minus is since we've had this heat wave, now it's accelerated the harvest. And people that were, you know, they're really going to have to kick it into gear and, you know, get more creative with putting the wine in spaces and moving it around. And it's uh, it picks up the pace. So uh, I guess our next post or our next article could be about um, what do we call this person? We call him the uh, the unknown harvest intern. well it's it's um it's it's the gray report and we can leave it there it's it's the gray report and he uh he has um he it's a guest post by uh 
an intern that's working in Napa Valley. And it's a must read, folks. You really yeah. should read this. Well, I think, you know, so something that was interesting for me in this, this was he's, I don't want to say he's complaining, but he's, you know, he's talking about how, you know, most of your day is spent cleaning something. Um, yeah. And, and being wet. And I, so I've, I've had experience working in a, in a, in a food business, in the dairy business, dairy, dairy manufacturing, literally butter and cheese and, yeah, that's what you do. You you're moving liquid around from one place to the other to process it, and you're usually wet. And as soon as that liquid gets out of tank A, it's got to be sanitized. Um, so that's just par for the course. And then with grapes, you know, you're you know it's it's wine, so you're gonna get like your clothes are gonna get stained, and your fingers, and yeah. So it's like like I don't I. So, so I read that and I'm just like, huh, you know, maybe you haven't had that experience. But he he does have some interesting things to say about the differences between high-end wineries and 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 wine factory wines. It's definitely – it's very uh... – And we've alluded to this before that, you know, marketing does play a, a central part of it. But he does talk about, you know, um, that, you know – a, a there isn't a lot of difference in some instances between a very expensive bottle of wine and a more moderately priced bottle of wine. Yeah. Well, it only costs, you know, the, the cost of, of making the product and putting it in the bottle is, is I guess the biggest variable is the cost of said grapes. That's, that's the largest variable. I mean, cause you can buy, I'm, I'm sure you could buy some Pinot Noir grapes for, you know, a thousand dollars a ton, or you could buy some Pinot Noir grapes for, you know, $7,000 a ton. And that's, what's going to really ultimately affect the price of the bottle. Right. And I, and I'll also tell you having, having made, made, you know, wine before, um, it, yeah, it totally, that, that thousand dollar, that, you know, $6,000 price differential makes a huge difference in terms of the product. Um, you know, you buy those $7,000, you know, a ton grape, you got to really work to mess it up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to like actively make it bad. Um, cause usually that when you're, when you're getting that type of fruit, it's very high quality. And you know, if you follow some basic, the basics, the fundamentals, as they would say, you're probably going to come out with a pretty excellent product. And you know, I mean, what's your cost per bottle then it's, it's actually, it, it's not horrible. Um, now that you know, you layer in the marketing, and you got to pay for property, and you know, overloaded with interns, and you know, your costs are going to go up pretty rapidly. He's also the other thing I think he's kind of alluding to in a in a very um, he's not coming out and saying this, but that he's sort of a, a um, complaining or sort of getting um, uh, annoyed or irritated by the pretense of the business. Yes. So, so he talks about, oh, if I hear one more time about this wine special from the, because it's from this terroir and, you know, you know, it, uh, I'm special because I work at this winery and, you know, yada. And he, he says, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada a lot, I think. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that's part of the experience that people want to have when they come to, you know, a, I'm going to call it a craft winery, you know, an artisan winery. You know, versus going to 
um, a large, you know, a big production, high volume winery. Well, the one, the one thing that really struck me uh, more than anything, and I know this because I, you know, I've been in the cellars and, and worked and done it, but I guess when you haven't done it for a while, you kind of forget about these things. But was just the amount of the sheer amount of water <laughs> that is used by a winery to, or any food. Yeah, I think it's know, any, facility. Yeah, I think it's any food manufacturing to, to process mean, the product. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't clean anything by pouring powder in it, especially <laughs> a tank. Um, you just you, you can't. So, and I I um, you know we hear a lot about. Water with regard, you don't hear about water in the manufacturing process when people talk about wine. They think about it in terms of sort of watering the grapes themselves. Exactly. And, you know, it's yet another, um, it's also a big disposal problem. You know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these wineries are not on, you know, some type of, of city service with regard to, um, water and that type of stuff. So they either have septic fields or, you know, they're just dumping it. And, you know, back in the day before we knew better, it was like, well, that, you know, it's just grape juice, you know, how, and water, how bad can it be? And yeah, it's got some cleaning chemicals in it, but, you know, and, you know, we've learned over time, that's not necessarily a good thing to do. And, you know, the disposal part of it is going to be an, an increasing issue. Um, you know, that's a problem that's not going to go away and probably get more acute for some of these places. And you've been, I, like, I don't know, do some of these, I, I mean, the company I work for eventually built its own processing facility, its wastewater processing facility. Um, it was cheaper for them to do a lot of pre-processing before they put it into the city. Um, uh, I believe Bear Republic built a facility in Cloverdale a couple of years ago. I don't remember how long. And they did a deal with the city where they, they either helped them um, there was some negotiation between the brewery and the city in terms of of handling wastewater, and I, you know, some type of cooperation. So, yeah, that's just a big deal once you get big, how to, you know, or not even medium size, I guess I should say. But I mean, we're well, talking gallons of water. Yeah, I mean, when you when you clean a tank, it's got to be completely, you know, it has to be sanitized. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's and it's much better than it was maybe when I was working in the cellar. I would imagine they probably have a more efficient way to do it. But like you said, you can't clean a tank with powder. Yeah. And what's interesting, uh, not interesting, but this article, if you look at it, there's two photos because the, the author is anonymous <laughs> with good reason. But uh, he's got a photo of uh, <laughs> he's got a photo of a sump. That has a bunch of wine in it, and the, the title underneath it says, "Wow, that Pinot is ripe and rich this year." And above the tank is this huge bag of sugar. Yes, <laughs> manufacturer sugar that is being dumped into this this vat of wine. <laughs> I just think that's like so. Uh, that's one reason why he's not. Uh, he might be getting a little face. jaded. <laughs> Well, he's only been – he went to school for four years and uh, – I didn't like how he gave his parents props for indulging his uh, viticulture studies. Yes, yes. And I think he's been um, doing the winery uh, harvest uh, intern thing for several years now. He says, yes, if feeding the world and ending famine could only be done with 200 
uh, dollar bottles of Napa Cab. So <laughs> true. Quotes. So anyway, in, uh, it's a quick read for anyone. Uh, it's really interesting. Kind of gives you just a kind of a an insider's a uh, little insider baseball of kind of what's going on. Yeah. I, and I do want to point out one other thing about that picture. If you uh, if you zoom it up a little bit, you'll see that the sugar is from New Zealand. Yes, it is. And I believe, yeah, and it's a couple of different kinds of sugar. So, yes, that's American-made wine and that lovely, yummy, ripe Pinot. Oh, boy. Wow. Where can we go from there, Bill? Well, let's just talk about that $200 bottle of wine that translates into a $4.5 million haul for the Sonoma Harvest Wine Auction, which happened last weekend. Um, Yes, <clears throat> but uh, Chateau St. Jean, and we keep threatening to go to one of these things. Um, yeah, at least to check them out. It'd be fun to go and just kind of look around, see what's see what the deal. Oh, totally. Is. I, I, you know, and these people um, that come to these things, they go all out. There's a there. The theme this year was uh, the turn of the century World's Fair, and you know, people dressing up, and it was just. Yeah, I always find it interesting that they. They, um, you know, uh, go all out in that, those terms. So, and of course, the uh, the uh, money all goes to charity. Yeah, they're trying to raise the uh, literacy uh, level of our kids here in the in the uh, North Bay area, which would be a good thing. I don't have the article in front of me, but as I remember reading, the literacy level was somewhere in the 40th percentile for third graders in this area. They're all below that. So um, they're sh- they're shooting to kind of make our kids uh, help our kids read better, which is a good thing. Uh, definitely, definitely. And um, let's see the future fund. They 178 bidders pulled. Um, I'm quoting from the article here. Uh, they bought a lot um, for 1.9 million. So that broke. Um, you know, it broke a. Uh, it broke a record. So last year's uh, largest was um, one point seven. Yeah, they got a, they got a ways to go to catch up to the the Napa Valley uh, shindig, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> they're doing good things. Yeah, they're doing it, it's all good. No, it's always great. You know, it's good. Um, you know, generating that cash and the you know couldn't be a better um, sort of program to go after, in my opinion. Helping people read is a true key to freedom at some level. Yep, it's fundamental. Oh, <laughs> reading is fundamental. Yes, um, I remember that well. You remember? I was wondering if you catch that. That's totally why I'm chuckling. Yep, <laughs> I yeah, I remember that well. So let's talk about um, Idaho and our, our favorite two buck Chuck. Idaho. So for those of you who have never been in the state of Idaho. Um, and I'm sure those from the state of Idaho know well. Um, they have interesting liquor. They still have liquor laws, and so I was there. I was there probably five years ago, and you had to, you had to buy. If I recall correctly, they had state-run liquor stores. I don't know. I I haven't been to that, Idaho in twenty years. And that might have just been for spirits. And the supermarkets could sell beer and wine, but and Sunday, no, not on Sundays. I think with the exception of like a brew pub, um, you could go in and get a beer. But anyway, their law says that if you 
um, there isn't any exclusivity with regard to who can sell um, what type of wine, for example. Um, according to this article here from the Statesman, under Idaho law, no distributor shall restrict the sale of wine to one retailer. However, it seems as though the only people carrying Charles Shaw is Trader Joe's. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so they talked to the police. And what did the police say, Bill? <laughs> they quoted the law. Quote the article, if a distributor carries a wine product, it has to be available to other retailers. Quote, unquote, said State Police Spokesman Teresa Baker. I've done my job. Exactly. <laughs> and to continue, as a good reporter should, they asked about the Trader Joe's situation. Quote, um, a- actually, Baker said... She did not quote the article again. She did not know the particulars. This is the quote. No particulars from any individual retailer, but product has to be available to other retailers. Oh, man. She said the same thing. Boom. She <laughs> is going to she's going to be a sheriff one day <laughs> on her way got, up. She's got a long life in public yes, service. That's for a, sure. A, 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 well, a primary in, in any type of situation, when somebody asks you a question, you don't want to answer. You answer the question you wanted to be asked. <laughs> That's how you do it. That it's, is great. I believe I heard a politician on TV say that once. So, or maybe it was one of their media people. But anyway, this is sort of uh, an interesting. You know, um, it looks like cost plus. Um, they were violating. You know, they're uh, in sort of a similar situation, and they got a. I think did they get? Did they actually get? Yeah, they got a fine. So that if you get it fine, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a thousand bucks. Well, wait a minute. So you can take a ten-day license suspension, or you can be fined a thousand dollars. Gee, which one am I going to pick? Are you kidding me? Really, that's the law. And they apologize. Don't forget that, Bill. Oh, sure, (laughs) absolutely. So maybe the same thing will happen to Trader Joe's, but I wonder if they're just back to you know business is business until somebody makes us think about it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that wine is definitely not going to appear in any. I mean, it's Charles Shaw. Cost Plus is not selling Charles Shaw. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It's not they'll, gonna... they'll pull it off the market <laughs> before they let somebody else carry that wine. So that's where that's going. But I just think it's interesting the whole legal wranglings behind alcohol in general. You know, if you, if you're in Europe and you can call a winery, you know, say if you live in. Uh, I, Anyway, you live in Germany. You can call a winery that's 15, 20 miles away or whatever, and you could place your order and leave it on their voicemail. And then, you know, a day and a half, two days later, the wine's on your doorstep. <laughs> you know, I mean, our, our, our laws regarding alcohol are so arcane. <laughs> right. And it, it, I mean, if you think about it, too, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, religion used to play a lot, you know, in sort of developing the wine laws in the states it's like well europe that that was just all part of integrated into the culture including the religious culture um i just find it interesting and it also seems to just be i don't you know really thousand dollars a 10-day license suspension i mean why even have that law in the books it's ridiculous that's not even a slap on the wrist it's it's ridiculous i mean anyway 
Right. We, need, we need some ludicrous music to come on right now or something. <laughs> something. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to kind of keep it short this week. We got one other major um, alcohol, well, beer-related news in that um, Lagunitas uh, did a partnership with Heineken. Um, and so there's a lot that's surprising about this. So first is is that Tony McGee, who's the chairman and CEO, would ever partner with anyone. Um, I, that. It just um, – Surprising, although one thing that I guess isn't that surprising is that he he does talk about sort of the um, getting the ale, continuing to be a proponent for ale versus lager. <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna go down that route, I mean he's he he is you know he is sort of on a mission um, around I'll say factory beer. Um, he does talk about – it's an article in the Press Democrat. He does talk about the meetings that he had with uh, Heineken. They are a family, still a family-run company, and he you know, he's sort of giving props to their brewing process. Um, I think they mentioned a billion-dollar transaction. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the part that I find interesting is that they parsed it up. It's 50-50. Yep. And so, they're – like how are they going to settle disputes? Yeah, and typically, I mean, that's very unusual. Usually it's 60 40, yeah. 51 yeah. 49, 50 50, man. That's, uh, that's going to take, and as it and pointed out in the article, it's going to require an unusual degree of cooperation. Right. Well, I have seen this done before, too, where two uh, competitors actually came together to form a, a joint venture. It was 50 50, and they're, um, there were seven people on the board, three from each of the competitors, you know, three board members selected by the competitors, and then an independent director that was, um, you know, effectively nominated by both sides. So they had to agree on who the director was. Um, and then the director changed like every two years. Um, and that structure actually worked really well and allowed that joint venture to actually thrive. It was, yeah. Um, well, Go ahead. But I, um, I, I think the other thing, too, that I was kind of reading into this is that, you know, they're talking about, you know, he wanted to bring another brewery online. Um, he was talking about uh, another, um, you know, putting another brewery, I think, in L.A. It's already being built, I believe. Um, so and I think he had international one. I mean, one of the big things that Heineken brings to the table is they have an international distribution network. Plus, they know how to brew. You know, when you go like to Mexico, Heineken's made in Mexico. Um, you know, they can. You know, they might still control the brewing process, but it's not. You know, it's not like it's packed into a container and shipped over here. I, I I'm I'm not a hundred percent comp. You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty confident that's probably the case. Yeah, well, beer has such a short shelf life that you know you you want it. The, the whole idea is to have it as fresh as possible. Yeah, I mean, if you've never if you've never had a um, if you've never had a an opportunity to have one of your favorite beers at a brew at the brewery where it's brewed, I highly encourage you to do that because the the taste difference is amazing. You will notice a major taste difference, and there is such a thing as fresh beer versus beer that's sort of off. Um, so, yeah, that's true. Kind of to your point, it's a living product, and it's you know, 
it's sort of it's sort of meant to be consumed when it's made. Here's here's what I Not got. Not all beer. Not all beer. I don't know if I'm reading between the lines, but here's what I got. This is really about Lagunitas has has grown and they're making incredibly large amounts. I mean, if 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 you've driven by, I've driven by that facility. I've seen it grow over the. I go there. I, I go there periodically, and I swear every time I show up, you know, I maybe go there twice a year. Maybe people come into town; they want to go to these places, so I take them. And it's a great experience to go. It's kind of like a beer theme park. Yeah. And, and every time I go there, there's like a new million pound silo. There we go. That was my point. <laughs> it's like <laughs> what? And like a whole. They're in an industrial park, and it's like a whole nother quarter of this industrial park's been Pac-Man into. Lagunitas. And the thing that's really crazy to me is there's still what they say the craft brewing market is what 11% of the beer market? Yeah, I think it might even be less than that. That is that's, it's a, that's insane. It's a small amount. And what this is about, I think this is really about they're growing their brand more. It's about marketing. Obviously, they've got it down. They know how to make good beer. Yep. They know how to make beer that people like, not even that they know how to make good beer <laughs> and, and the brand is is incredibly popular but what's happening now is I, I think market saturation at some point how do you get it out to other countries yeah that how do you just, how do you get it beer is where do you buy beer most people buy beer most people buy beer at a convenience store yep supermarket gas station um, or you know, Seven Eleven type store on the way home from work, and you don't find these type of beers, these craft beers. You don't find them; they're not at the Seven Eleven. Yeah, but you can find Heineken at the Seven yeah. Eleven. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just we're yeah. looking at access to some markets that they don't have now by this venture. And they're yeah, and they're both they're you know both talking about sort of you know immediate move into uh, Mexico. Yeah, so I mean, and, and and that's really what's going on. So it's going to be very helpful for both of them. But you know, I mean, the the marketing part is is what uh, Lagunitas is going to get out of it, and what Heineken's going to get out of it is they're going to learn, you know, how to make craft beers. Yeah, and, and they're going to learn how to make a well more and more to the more to your point, they're going to learn how to make a craft beer and scale it. Yeah, because he's scaling that brewery. I mean, I can. There are most places in the United States I can go that I've traveled recently. So, Mid Atlantic, um, obviously up and down the West Coast, and then in the Midwest, um, you can go you, Lagunitas, like in the supermarket. Yeah, I just think it's so smart on his part to go fifty-fifty. I think that is just a brilliant move. Yeah, and everybody's got stake, right? Yeah. I mean, they both put in five hundred million dollars, and you know. That's wow! Not making it work. You really want to walk away from that? Yeah. So, all right. Well, well I guess it's going to be more good beer coming our way. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm with ninety degree weather. <laughs> music to my ears. Bring it. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we we promise to keep it short, Bill. Yeah. I'm and um, everybody have a good week. Hit us up on Twitter, um, Vino One Hundred One Net at Twitter. You can always email us at info at vino101.net. Um, like us on Facebook. Tell a friend. Subscribe to our podcast. We appreciate it. Send us a note and tell us what you want us to talk about. 
There you go. We really do. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. Cheers now. Cheers. Cheers.